0: CFL fans, are you ready because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell. We are back yet again talking more CFL football. If you haven't already done so, check out our trade breakdown of the Manziel blockbuster between Hamilton and Montreal. That's out on the podcast feeds. Check those out if you haven't done so. But now we're looking ahead to week seven together with Michael Garrell. Mike, how are you doing for the third time today? I'm hoping if you're
1: listening to us for the third time today or the third time this week, you must not be sick and
0: tired of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I figured after one, most people would be sick and tired of us. But hey, if you're here for number three, props to you. And if you've listened to all 55 shows? Uh, This would be 54. 54? Yeah. Drop us a line. Yeah, let us know. That's impressive if you have. They're all up on our website, mikefmwinnipeg.com/slash the Canadian Football Countdown. Uh, that last part all hyphenated. You can li- you can listen to every single episode we've done as the Canadian Football Countdown. We are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Make sure to check out all of the other great CF Pod Network shows at at CF Pod Network on Twitter and CFpodNetwork.ca. You can find them all there as well. Week Six, uh, fantasy and pick 'em wise Pick 'em. we both went three and one. Uh, we both picked Hamilton to beat the Riders, which was not the case, but we got the other three games correct this week, although the Ottawa win over BC was a very close one there. Fantasy-wise, it didn't go so well, Mike. Yeah. Uh, 84 points this week, uh, my second worst week yet. I did not pick a defense. As much as the, the debate was, that, uh, you know, I kept saying you have to put Calgary's defense, you have to put Calgary's defense in there. I decided to not go with the defense this week and uh, I loaded up at the running back position. Uh, William Powell, Andrew Harris, both of those guys, great days. They got the bulk of my fi- my 85 points this week. Uh, Don Jackson, so I went with three running backs this week. Don Jackson did not pan out as well as I expected. Uh, S.J. Green was shut down by the Bombers, so was James Franklin, and uh, I forgot who else I had. Nick Dembski pitched in a decent 10 points, so decent week, not great. We'll see if we can bounce back in Week 7. So let's get into our first game here of Week 7, uh, which is the Thursday night game between the Edmonton Eskimos and the Montreal Alouettes.
1: Yeah, Montreal and Edmonton. Edmonton stuff with Another Thursday game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, seem to
0: have had a lot of those of late. It'll probably rain again. I'm no meteorologist, but if the Eskimos play, there's rain. And Eskimos coming
1: off a bye. And then the new look, uh, Alouette team, which we've discussed plenty of.
0: Yeah, of course, Johnny Mansell, uh, Landon Rice, Tony Washington coming over. Uh, in a trade that sent Chris Williams and uh, Jamal Westerman in two first-round picks to Hamilton. And then a Darius Bowman coming over as well from the uh, from the Bombers in another trade this week for an eighth-round pick. Or a conditional eighth-round pick. We don't think Manziel will play in this game. At least I don't. You seem to think he might get a start here. but Not a start, but maybe relief. Maybe. Um, so we'll see how much action he gets this week. But you have to imagine they're going to start plugging in these guys, Tony Washington and Landon Rice, into the lineup right away, right? Yeah, once they did the blocking schemes down and that kind of stuff and protection
1: and uh, blind side detection and all that stuff uh,
0: seems to be pretty standard, I would think. Uh, the records for these two teams coming into this game, Edmonton's at 3-2, and two, Montreal's at 1-4. and four. Edmonton had that home-and-home home with Toronto. Another interesting question that I have, Mike Sherman and
1: Johnny Mandel knew each other from the days of Texas A&M. How close is Sherman's offense from Texas A&M to that of what he uses in Montreal today?
0: And we'll find that out, right? And I don't think it will be this week. Uh, Matt Schultz has been getting the starting reps in practice today. Um, Can anyone please discuss the short leash and unfortunate circumstances that Vernon Adams always seems to find themselves Yes, in? I forgot to mention that. When on our trade breakdown podcast, I'm glad you brought that up. Vernon Adams can't catch a break, man. Like he goes from Hamilton to be from being the third string in Hamilton and being cast off because Johnny Manziel comes in to goes back to Montreal, where maybe he's going to get some starting time. And guess who's now ahead of him on the depth chart again? Johnny Mansell I mean, Vernon Adams, I don't know if he's ever going to have a starting job in the CFL. I'm doubtful at this point. No one wants to give him the proper chance to do so. And he was acquired originally for a first-round pitch. Yep. And he's been bounced around the whole league, basically. Is he in national? No. I know he spent time at Oregon. No, he, he's not Canadian. Because I'm just trying to think how he became into the CFL. Uh, memory escapes me. Um, Keys of the game in this game Montreal Edmonton Montreal had a very respectable game given their opponent uh, this past week against Calgary what's the key of the game for them to beat the Eskimos
1: they have to go with Riley punch for punch they have to try to make Mike Riley win the game by himself and then try to find a way to contain Mike Riley if that makes any sense
0: and uh, along with that contain Duke Williams Nine uh, nine catches, 123 yards in his last game against Toronto. I mean, Duke Williams has been the number one receiver in the CFL this year. No one's been able to shut him down. Uh, game plan for the Eskimos, I think, is just to keep doing what you're doing lately on defense. And I would say discipline is my game plan for Edmonton every week. I think last game against Toronto, Chris Edwards took another 15-yard penalty. And Edmonton continues to take these penalties that they really shouldn't be. Um, and maybe, you know, that's a byproduct of who they have as a head coach. I don't know if this reflects on Jason Maas. But play disciplined football. Continue to improve defensively. If you're Edmonton, you're probably going to win this game.
1: Do Edmonton and the Bombers carry any striking similarities to you? In what sense? Both somewhat heavily, at least of lately, rely on the offense.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would say so. Which is kind of weird because one is an offensive-minded head coach. The other is a kind of a defensive special. It's not really known for his offense. So. Right.
0: Um, before we move on here, picks for this one. Montreal, Edmonton, who you got?
1: It'll be closer than most people think, but I think at the end of the day,
0: Edmonton finds a way to get this done. I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> once again, Mike, I agree with you. But I'm taking Edmonton here. I think Montreal uh, will have... Be competitive in this one but uh edmonton's coming Are we off a in a less
1: than 10 point win
0: yes yeah i think it'll be a close win but edmonton will pull it out and then that gets us into our second game of the week the home and home continues between toronto and winnipeg uh the bombers hosting the argonauts friday night in the rematch from what we saw at bmo field which was a dominant bombers victory um you were talking about how you expect this to be a case of the same as what you saw Saturday. Why? Well, I, I just
1: honestly, that I don't see how it can be any different. I mean, the Ardell offense can't seem to be beyond the 20-point mark for. And let's be frank, I ain't barring a real uh, low.
0: I can't see the bombers getting under 30. Let's be Franklin, not Frank Franklin. <laughs> Um, I'll be the devil's advocate here. We said the same thing after the last game against BC, after the first game against BC. We the bombers come out, blow the lions away in game one. Everybody, besides myself, and select few saying there is no way that the bombers can lose this game against the Lions. And they jump out to a seventeen nothing lead and it all falls apart. Well, down if the hill. bombers
1: don't shoot themselves in the putt, they win. So I I mean For me here,
0: what did you learn from two weeks at all? Yeah. And you'll be fine. Yeah, that that's true. Um, Storylines in this game again. I mean, it's the rematch. How much like you have to think Toronto's going to hand the ball off to James Wilder more because he only had three carries for negative two yards last game. A lot of that,
1: and I forgot to mention this on the previous show was a byproduct of how lopsided the game was that
0: early. But when he's one of the only two guys who produces things in your offense, you can't go away from him. Well, you didn't hand the ball off to him down 21 points? Yeah, if that's the only thing that works. Would you consistently expect to come back and win doing so? Not consistently, but it gives you your best chance to. If nothing's yeah. happening through the air, you got to give it to the guy on the ground, whether you're down or not. Question Do you start McLeod Bethel Thompson at Bill Toronto? No. I think James Franklin has performed decently well. He had a down day against the Bombers this past week, but I don't see any reason to hand over the keys yet. If you have another down game. I I, and you're looking
1: at Toronto potentially, and very likely being 1-5 by the end of this.
0: True. And then maybe you do take a look, but what does that do for confidence of a guy like Franklin, who presumably you brought in to be your number one guy going forward? is true uh keys of the game for both teams toronto it's use james wilder and get him going right like this team is going to be better when you use james frank james wilder in that offense it opens things up um i want to say the same thing as i did last week you know to get the younger guys more involved on offense but really if you can't get wilder going you're gonna get nothing going key of the game for the bombers what's that
1: Start the way you started in Toronto and keep your foot on the gas and you'll be fine.
0: Yeah, uh, don't do what you did two weeks ago in BC, please. To be honest with you,
1: the only way the Bombers lose this game is if they shoot themselves in the foot. They are
0: the better team. They need to play like they're the better team. Well, they could shoot themselves in the foot. They did with two fumbles against the Argos this past weekend. So maybe ball control is something the Bombers need to focus on and uh, not give Toronto a chance to stick around in this game. Here's another thing I want to talk about here real quick. I want the Bombers to
1: blow with a bang before they're by week. Yes, absolutely. So do they end up uh, doing something about that? You're picking this game.
0: You think the Bombers are going to... Yeah, I'm going to pick the Bombers less than 10. I'm going to stick to my rules. Um, Home and home series, the Bombers really haven't swept a lot of them. I think it was something like 5 of 41 that they've actually swept. Um, they split the previous one with BC when no one expected them to. The Argo split with Edmonton. I think they split again, as much as I don't want to see that at Investors Group Field on Friday. Um, I think Toronto somehow pulls this out. I don't know how, but I'm sticking to my guns, and I'm going Toronto. Probably not a lot of home games. They've three straight two on the buy there, too, so... And moving into our third game of the week, the start of the Saturday doubleheader, Ottawa and Hamilton in Hamilton. Uh, Big storyline is uh, the guy behind Jeremiah Mazzoli is gone. Mazzoli did not break the record for consecutive 300-yard passing games. He is now starting back at square one with that, and he faces the Red Blacks this week with no pressure behind him of people clamoring for Mr. Manziel. What are you expecting from Missouli? Bounce back. I think there's no
1: way he did not hit 300 yards in this game. I think this might be the game of the week in the CFO behind another game, which we'll discuss shortly. Oh, I think this is the game of the week. But I, I just want to see potential playoff positioning on the line here already. Yeah. Because I don't know if you can afford... I don't know if you're the East teams, if you can afford to lose a lot of games... In your
0: division. Hamilton uh, coming off two losses with the Riders. Ottawa pulls out that win over BC this week. What are you expecting from Ottawa? Ottawa's got to be They
1: were lucky to win. And I think if they can build off of that. May have seen some stuff in the Hamilton defense that is a little bit susceptible in the third quarter against Saskatchewan. Does that change with the addition of Jamal Westerman now? he plays, you get that pressure on the back side. So maybe, I think Hamilton looked at it to be quite honest. They weren't getting enough pressure on the quarterback. So maybe it's a way for them to
0: get some more pressure on the quarterback. Because I've talked for a couple weeks in a row here. Trevor Harris doesn't do well under pressure, right? He's not a mobile guy. We did see him run this past week. That was surprising. Um, I, I, think you, I think you have to reinvent the wheel to an extent if it's not working. For Ottawa, Trevor Harris is a guy that is known for a lack of consistency, I would say. You know, he has these great games. I think TSN put up a graphic of percentage of first so-and-so many starts that were 300-plus games. And Trevor Harris is up there as one of the best in CFL history when it comes to that. So he has a lot of 300-yard games, but we've seen him struggle in a couple of games. So it remains to be seen which Trevor Harris we get here. Will William Powell be able to have a strong game in the running game? And uh, what's Brad Sinopoli got in store for us?
1: He might be the receiver of the year in the CFL if performances such as last week continue.
0: Keys of the game for both teams. You say it's uh, getting pressure on the quarterback for I Hamilton? I they
1: pressure on the quarterback both ways cause the way these two quarterbacks roll, both, t- both quarterbacks can throw for over 300 yards. Both offenses are more than capable of putting up 35-plus. I think we might see our first shoot of the year.
0: Yeah, we haven't had really any of those yet, have we?
1: No, and I think one is due to happen at some
0: point. Yeah, keys of the game. I want to go for a different one for the Red Blacks uh, or for the Ticats, but I agree with you. That's the real key for both sides here. You know, offensively, they like to spread the ball around pretty well. They have a bunch of weapons at their disposal, both of them. But the key really comes down to getting pressure on the quarterback and protecting your own. Uh. How do you think Chris Williams factors into the wide receiver game for the Cats this week? Do you think he's in the lineup? Maybe. It depends. I mean. depends if he's back from injury, first of all. He should be.
1: I, heard, I read a report that uh, they said he was going to be bad from injury. So, I don't know. I, I think if you're the guys that Montreal got bad, they're less likely to play than the guys that Hamilton dropped back. Just with the way the
0: week is spaced out. Um, yeah, I agree with you there. So uh, who are you picking in this game, Mike Hamilton or Ottawa? Gotta think Mazzoli's
1: got a bounce back in him. Gotta think that Harris is gonna want it go all for two in a row. One had to be game. The winning team will get to 40 points. I'm picking
0: Ottawa. All right, we're continuing two straight games of disagreement here, Mike. The game is in Hamilton. This game, to me, is going to be a close matchup. It's basically a coin flip, so I'm going to go with the home team here, take the Ticats at the donut box. And then our final game of the week, which may be the lowest scoring game in CFL history, uh, the Calgary Stampeders and the Saskatchewan Roughriders. Two best defenses in the CFL, I think it's safe to say. Uh, certainly Calgary's is and Saskatchewan is making arguments of their own here. Um, this matchup, we had a, was it last, I think it was either last year or the year before we had a nine, six game between Calgary and last Saskatchewan. Year. Last year. Are we expecting another one like that? Depends, right? I mean,
1: Bolivar Mitchell hasn't exactly been lighting it up, nor has he had to. Chris Jones defenses are forced to be reckoned with, So why not?
0: If this comes down to a battle of the defenses, I don't know if Saskatchewan can win that, though. I think they can. Do you think with their offensive struggles that Brandon Bridge or David Watford, who knows if Chris Jones still swaps them around, do you think they can get something going against Calgary defense that's now averaging 8.8 points against the game? I think it's a very interesting thing but.
1: You can have a quarterback looking on the sideline. What is the defense doing to me? And try to make adjustments from there. I did a hunch, but we got no more undefeated
0: teams left after this week. Oh man, I I think it's going to be an interesting game. And you know what? Credit to Saskatchewan because the last two weeks we didn't, or the last two games we didn't think they were going to beat Hamilton. Certainly not the first one. And the second one we had to think they were going to bounce back. Riders found a way to beat Hamilton twice, and coming into that, we were thinking of Hamilton as one of the top three teams in the CFL this year. Saskatchewan has the ability to surprise some teams. Maybe they have the ability to surprise Calgary. That's precisely Calgary. my line of thought. Maybe they have the ability to surprise Calgary this year. Uh, to do so, they're going to need to find consistency on offense, and maybe that comes from, you know, sticking with Brandon Bridge for the full game here, like they seem to do for the most part in that last one against Hamilton. Yeah keys of the game for both teams what are they get some offense early if you're Saskatchewan and then play that type of defense that angers a lot of teams if you're Chris Jones yeah and from the Calgary side of things I think it would just be um force them to get into that quarterback carousel early right like if you can get pressure and you can maybe get a pick on uh Brandon Bridge early like Chris Jones has hot feet Right, like Chris right. Jones is not gonna sit there and be a like, quick trader? yeah, exactly. He'll he'll put David Watford in if he has to, and if you can get them, like you can't have consistency if you switch quarterbacks on every drive. Neither of them is gonna develop some consistency. It's Calgary get under their skin, and uh, here's another thing. I don't think Bowley by Mitchell has played a defense like what he's gonna see. No, not this year. So that, to me, is another interesting development. And uh, the running backs for both these teams, you know, Don Jackson, Marcus Thigpen, or Jerome Messam. Jerome Messam playing against Calgary, that's a storyline there. Yeah, there, there, This, this, this
1: to me, is the game of the
0: week by a hair over the other game. I don't know. I have the feeling to think it's a dud. And maybe that's just because I saw those two arguably dud games between Calgary and Ottawa that we all thought were going to be exciting games. Um... And then this could be a low-scoring one. Like, let's be real here, Mike. Calgary's five and zero, but I don't know if Cal. I can't. I certainly can't say Calgary's had five exciting football games. No, and it's the first game against the last two. Right. So I don't know if this is necessarily game of the week material. Again, I, I think we're in for
1: an eleven-nine game or something of that magnitude.
0: So on that note, who are you picking to win? Saskatchewan. You're picking Saskatchewan when it comes to. I, I just
1: don't think Calgary has
0: been challenged at a point that they were going to get challenged this week. It's funny because before these two games against Hamilton, we're talking about Saskatchewan as a dismal member of that West Division after that loss to Watch. Montreal. Cal- Calgary
1: went this week. just <laughs> To never seem me get the pit rate right involving the Rough Riders.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm taking Calgary. You know, I I agree with you. There's the potential for an upset this week, okay? I I could see it because Saskatchewan's brightest the last couple weeks. But you know my rule you split a home and home, and you always pick Calgary. This game's in Saskatchewan. It might give the riders a boost there. But I'm taking Calgary to win this game. Now it's time to get into our weekly interview here on our Week 7 preview show. With the Winnipeg Blue Bombers playing a back back game with the Toronto Argonauts this week, we figured it didn't make a whole lot of sense to do another full-game breakdown of that matchup. So instead, uh, I had the pleasure of speaking with Ben Kramer, the CFL fantasy expert uh, for CFL.ca and DailyRoto.com. Uh, he puts out pro- projections each week uh, to help CFL fantasy players, so I figured... We talked to him this week, uh, given that we're almost, uh, you know, a third of the way through the season to get his take on different strategies to use in CFL fantasy, uh, guys to take a chance on, guys you should have in your lineup each week, and all of that fun stuff. So without further ado, let's get into my interview here with Ben Kramer. And now I'm pleased to be joined by our guest for our Week 7 CFL Preview. He's the CFL fantasy expert, a CFL writer for DailyRoto.com and CFL.ca. It's Ben Kramer. Welcome to the show, Ben.
2: Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, no problem. It's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, CFL fantasy has become such a large part of the whole experience of taking in the CFL all season long. And, you know, we're just getting to the point now where we're a third of the way into the season after this week. And while the first couple of weeks somewhat question our crapshoot in CFL fantasy is this really the first one, because you don't know how guys are going to perform with their new teams. We start to now have a sense of kind of the trends with some of these guys. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I think you do to some extent. And also because of some of the funny things that the CFL has done with the schedule this year, there's some teams that's really tough to tell still exactly whether they're good or not because they've played the same three teams twice Right. through the first six weeks. So like I even look at teams like Winnipeg. I think they're good, but really they've beat Montreal and BC and Toronto so far. Who's that, right? They've probably beat the three worst teams in the league to this point so it has yet to be seen how some of these teams will be playing out and i guess the next third of the season will start to throw a little bit more separation as they start to play a few more teams beyond just a couple they've seen so far
0: yeah and especially i think calgary is a team you throw into there because they haven't played a west division team thus far all the talk has been about the strength of their defense what happens as they face some of these western teams or what happens as they face a defense like saskatchewan This week, Um, one of the new things that was added to the CFL on TSN fantasy this year was the points per reception now getting a point for each catch. What have you seen so far in terms of how has that kind of modified and maybe strengthened, you know, the fantasy value of some guys versus that of others?
2: Yeah, it's interesting to see it make its way north of the border now. PPR scoring has been pretty standard for most leagues in NFL fantasy football for the better part of a decade now, probably. And it's been the standard for DraftKings CFL contests for a couple of seasons already with the CFL fantasy contests they'd been having before. So in many ways, it felt like it was finally getting caught up to the rest of the fantasy world in getting PPR scoring in there. It just gives a little bit more value to some of the players who otherwise aren't big play receivers. The running backs who catch the five-yard passes still get a fair bit of credit for that. Or the... Possession receivers that run a few more dig routes and things underneath as opposed to just trying to take the top off with 70-yard receptions every week. It just levels out the playing field a little bit more for more types of players to have value in the game.
0: Yeah, and I think one guy especially that we've seen that with is Brad Sinopoli. I mean, 11 catches in, what, two of his last three games?
2: Yeah, it's pretty Um, ridiculous.
0: (laughs) So that, that definitely has an impact there. Uh, One of the things I think with that shift, a bit of a debate with the flex position, because in CFL and TSN fantasy, you get two running backs, you get two wide receivers, and you have a flex position that you can pick either one or the other. Um, Generally, running back or wide receiver, given the way fantasy breaks down?
2: You know, it all depends on the pricing on any given week. Mostly it's going to be a matter of finding that one that's going to be getting a couple of receptions, whether it's a running back out of the backfield on the cheap or whether it's a receiver who's got a start at the starting position somewhere that they haven't had before. You look at a guy like Rodney Smith, say, last week. He didn't do a lot, but five catches for 40 yards is still nine points for a minimum salary when you can go find guys like that to fit in a flex position, it really lets you pay up at some of the other spots.
0: Yeah, certainly. Um, And then then the question so far this season, a debate we've been having here on the podcast certainly, is the defense position. You know, the defense, if it's on their game, they can put up a 20-point week, something like that. But on average, you don't know what you're going to get because, well, it depends how many points your defense gives up. I've seen some strategies of not using a defense in fantasy to load up at other positions. Some people suggest you should always fill in every spot on the roster. What's your recommendation based on what you've seen?
2: I think anytime you're on purpose taking a zero, you're probably steering in the wrong direction. I think there's always enough value plays to be had, especially at wide receiver, where you're better off taking a $2,500 receiver than taking nobody at your defense special team spot anytime that you're completely punting and taking a zero at any spot on purpose you're probably hurting yourself long term more than you are helping yourself
0: that's uh that's a very fair assessment uh my fantasy team felt that this week uh (laughs) as i figured i'd give that a shot you know before we came and asked you the question yeah yeah um the home-and-home home series, we've seen that a couple times already this year. We've had a couple home-and-homes with asterisks beside them. Uh, mainly, you know, the Hamilton home and home with Saskatchewan, that had a bye week in the middle. Uh, yeah. Calgary-Ottawa played back-to-back games, except one of them had a bye week in the middle, but the other didn't.
2: Yeah, had, that was funny.
0: But we had Edmonton and Toronto back-to-back, Winnipeg and BC back-to-back, and right after that, now Winnipeg and Toronto back-to-back. With, with the you know second half of a home and home, how much do you read into the performances in that first game? Given that it's a whole brand new week.
2: Well, the way that we put our projections together, it tries not to take too many of those narrative type things into account. It's much more just based on the math of what's going to be a mean projection based on the matchup and their historical production. So, generally speaking, I think when you lean on narrative type analysis that says well when this happens this is probably going to happen you're leading yourself down a less analytical road i think that usually whatever well i guess narrative says it's tough to win the second half of the back-to-back right so you always expect a little bit different kind of play out of teams a little bit of a wrinkle in the game plan defense is being able to adjust to a few extra things And I know that statistics bear out that it is tougher to win that second half of the back-to-back. But overall, the projections aren't going to waver too much from one week to the next when you've got the same opponent twice in a row, just because the math is just about the same minus one extra week of production that you can add into the equation.
0: Let's talk about return guys here, Uh, kick return, punt return yards. You have some guys like a Deontay Spencer who is heavily featured in an offense and then also does the job in the return game and you have some guys like maybe a christian jones who looks like you know arguably one of if not the best returners in the league this year uh but isn't really featured on the offense would you recommend taking a chance maybe as a cheaper running back option on a guy like christian jones for his punt return value
2: i think you really have to be desperate if you're going to take somebody purely based on their kick return abilities, just because their ceiling production is so much lower. Right. you've got a very safe floor kind of production, you're guaranteed you're going to get three or four points out of them because everybody's going to return four or five kicks in a game. But unless they take a kick back for a touchdown, your ceiling is a whole lot lower. And in a game like this on CFL, TSN fantasy, where really you're playing to win it all or nothing, you're probably hurting your long-term production significantly by trying to roster kick returners who don't produce anything in the offensive side of the game from scrimmage. So, yeah, guys like Spencer that get a few extra kick returns on top of their offensive role certainly helps out, and it gives them a little bit more stable floor because they get those three or four points guaranteed, and then they get to see what you can build off of anytime you've got just straight return men you're really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel especially since a lot of the return specialists are still over three thousand, and you've got a lot of receivers who are going to get you at least a similar floor that are at the 2500 kind of price range that have a lot higher ceiling if they catch a touchdown or half a dozen passes or something
0: now, you have a guy in the CFL on TSN Fantasy and Chris Rainey, who is heavily a return man, but is also somewhat mm-hmm. featured on the offense occasionally. But he's up there with something like a six, dollars seven, or $7,000 salary each week. Um, why do you think the salary is so high? Is the point production of that combination worth it?
2: It's going to be pretty rarely worth it. Like, you had the opportunity back a couple weeks ago when Jeremiah Johnson got hurt and Rainey got the lion's share of the carries for the second half, that all of a sudden he became a great value, right? And he does preserve more kicks for touchdowns than anyone else in the league. So you've got a little bit more of a ceiling there. But really most weeks unless he has a kick return for a touchdown, he's probably not gonna meet value and he's probably gonna leave you disappointed, especially when they're similar running backs, they're gonna get a full workload that have the same kind of opportunity at touchdowns or better at receptions. They're just gonna produce more consistently for you.
0: Um in terms of how you spread your money around in CFL Fantasy, do you load up uh, at certain positions and then look for, like you said, the $2,500 receivers or whatever at other positions? Or do you find it more beneficial to kind of middle of the pack across the roster?
2: Yeah. You know, it, again, it all depends on the week. I'm a big right. believer in team math. I believe whatever the projections are going to tell me on it. So on a given week, it's going to depend what the pricing is like as it comes out and what the projections look like as they come out. So as you look at it, even just simply in a points per dollar value, I want to maximize my points per dollar that I can possibly fit into a lineup for most weeks. There's going to be the odd time where I look at and I say the guy's value as it plays out in points per dollar doesn't look good, but I think that he's got such a high ceiling on a given week that maybe I'll jam him in there and cheap out on a receiver or something like that in a flex spot. But overall, I try not to go into anything with any one set of strategies or plans and rather let the numbers on any given week dictate what the strategy should look like.
0: How much does the matchup each given week play into things? You could have a guy, you know, maybe an Andrew Harris, a Duke Williams, who has been consistent every single week this season. Uh, But you could also have, like you said, a guy... That maybe hasn't produced as much, but the matchup's just too good to be true.
1: Yeah, it plays in
0: quite a bit
2: on an average week. Like, we've, over the last three years, put together our projections model, and it's a series of about 30 different Excel sheets that all play off of each other that, uh, yeah, it certainly takes the matchups into account as far as yardage, as far as touchdowns, as far as kicks, all these kinds of things. And we take into account historical data going back a couple of years and then weight it versus what they've been doing this season. So hopefully it gives you a little bit more steady projection that when a guy has a couple of giant weeks, he doesn't just pop immediately because he had two good weeks. And at the same time, Doesn't let guys totally slip off the radar if they've had a couple of bad weeks. So right now, guys like Brad Sinopoli, they've had two monster weeks in a row, right? And if we were weighting it just off of this season's data, clearly he'd be the best player on the board based on the last two games. But we all know those numbers are unlikely to be sustainable. And so having something that weights, yes, the matchup and yes, historical production, all these kinds of things into it as well, keep them down a little bit lower. He's not the top ranked receiver on the board this week. He's still in the top five, but he's not the be all and end all just because he had two monster weeks that everybody with some kind of sense looks at and says it's pretty unlikely to carry on for the rest of the season and maybe it stops this week.
0: Now, this weekend seemed to be a trade-filled weekend in the CFL, certainly. Obviously, the big one, the Johnny Manziel trade. Um, Manziel to Montreal. I know Vernon Adams appears like he'll be starting this week against Edmonton. Uh, Manziel looks like he will potentially be getting some packages in this game. Uh, The quarterback situation for Montreal, Vernon Adams against Edmonton this week. Do you like that matchup?
2: We'll have to see. I've seen that Schultz is getting still some work around there too. So as of what I was seeing this afternoon, Coach was still unwilling and unable to name a starter. But depth charts come out tomorrow, so I guess we'll have a little bit clearer plan of what they actually plan on doing. My guess, guess would probably be that Manziel gets a package of plays for the red zone where he can run some kind of wildcat stuff and pass or run and basically put his physical skills on display and make things happen with his feet because he's not going to have a whole lot of familiarity with his teammates or the playbook or anything like that yet so I think if he gets in four or five passes and four or five runs that would probably be a pretty heavy week load for just three or four days of practice with his new team
0: yeah he won't be starting this week Johnny Manziel but uh, people suggesting you know rumors people discussing I should say That, oh, Hamilton comes to town in two weeks. You know Manziel's going to get the starting job there. Eventually, you would have to think in Montreal. Mm -hmm. Uh, When that comes, do you, at a lower salary, I imagine he'll be in CFL fantasy, given all of the hype surrounding him, would you take a chance on Manziel?
2: Yeah, again, it will all depend on salary. This week he's priced out at 7000 I expect he'll probably hang out right around there yeah. until his first start. I don't see that going up too much, given that they probably won't have a whole lot of production to push the number higher.
0: Highest priced so- player in the game. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I know even just on DraftKings and their pricing this week, I think he's the third highest priced quarterback, and there's a lot of people who are excited just to see people swoop in and play that guy without yeah. even thinking, because you have a lot of people who are just kind of coming in excited with the hype and not right. really looking at depth charts or much news in the
0: process. Plus, if he's few Plus, if he's high-priced, he must be good, right? Yeah,
2: absolutely. (laughs) Game log watchers are everywhere, man. That's one of the most interesting things about CFL fantasy football over NFL is NFL fantasy football has become really analytics-driven over the last half-dozen years or so. There's a lot of really smart people in the game who are doing a lot of research behind the scenes. You have pro football focus that put together a whole lot of helpful statistics and analysis, whereas in the CFL, we're still mostly looking at game logs to see who did what, and there's a lot of people who don't even do the work to see who's starting this week. Yeah, Wind up with players in 10 or 15% of starting lineups every week in CFL Fantasy that aren't even on starting rosters. So if people put in even a little bit of work ahead of time to see who's starting and who's playing and what kind of roles are changing, there's a significant edge to be had there
0: right away. Uh, Another guy that went back the other way in this trade is Chris Williams going back to Hamilton. Uh, Looked like he was having a solid bounce back year to start the year this year, especially given Montreal's offense. Uh, He joins a crowded group of wide receivers there, though, in Hamilton. Uh, Definitely has a better quarterback throwing him the ball here. Uh, What does this trade do for Chris Williams' production and value?
2: Yeah, We'll have to see. I know it certainly gives me a headache. (laughs) <laughs> trying to figure out how on earth you divvy up targets to receivers like that. We've got all five of them may be the best starting receiver on any other CFL team around this season. But if, so, yeah, when we see that, it looks like Banks might drop into the slot from the wideout position. And Chris Williams take his wideout spot. But pretty much all those receivers in Hamilton get somewhere between six and a half and eight and a half targets a game. It's just going to be a matter of it's going to be that much less consistent, even with just the four-headed monster they were running. It was always at least one guy every week that was putting up only one or two points because they'd be the forgotten man in the offensive game plan this week or the one that the defense decided to take away. So once you've got Williams, it's great for their real-life offense, but from a fantasy perspective, it's certainly going to be a bigger headache trying to figure out on a week-to-week basis who the matchup is going to take away or who the offense is going to play away from, because you certainly can't feed five mouths full-time with the kind of production that they would expect to.
0: Does that maybe turn you off a little bit from picking guys from teams like Hamilton or Calgary at the wide receiver position where the ball is spread around so much, given that you don't know who's going to be the... Go to target?
2: Yeah, I think it all depends on what kind of strategy you're playing with or what your goals are. If you're looking for kind of a full win it all or go home kind of mentality, then those are the kind of guys that you'd want to pick because you're pretty sure no one else is going to be going in that direction for right. the most part. Other people are going to get scared away from it. If you're trying to play a little bit more to be even keel and stay in the middle of the pack, then those are probably the ones you want to shy away from, because there's significantly higher risk associated with them on a weekly basis than some of the other receivers that you know just own targets. Like Duke Williams will come in priced similarly to a lot of those guys on a weekly basis, and you know he's getting 8 or 10 targets every week no matter oh, what. Sure. Whereas those Hamilton guys, they'll vary anywhere between 3 and 12 on any given week, and there's really no assurance on any given week which one it's going to be that gets the 12 or the 3. So, yeah, it certainly makes you stray away from them in something where you're looking to be more steady. But if you're going to shoot for the moon in a contest or something like CFL Fantasy where you're hoping to place first overall to win the money, then those are the ones that you could certainly take a chance on if you have a feel for it on a given week.
0: Uh, Another guy traded this week, a Darius Bowman cast off from the Bombers after a dismal start to the season. He goes to Montreal here where you have to think he's at least going to have more of a role in the offense than he did in Winnipeg. Um, Does this rejuvenating for his season and uh, in his first game in Montreal do you take a chance on him?
2: Uh, it won't be me. I think I wrote back about a year and a half ago that he's pretty much a fantasy wasteland at this point. There's really not a whole lot left in the tank, it seems. He had one game at the end of 2017 where they had Duke Williams on the bench, and he kind of took over the second spot again. But really, there's not a whole lot to make you think that he's going to have a resurgence in Montreal. The reality is he's probably still the fifth best receiver on that team in Montreal, and he certainly has older legs. And he's always had a trouble with drops, too. So if he's not going to be able to beat anybody just with his physical skills, it's going to be tough for him to make separation through his route running and then hold on to the ball consistently. So hey, I wish him the best. I hope things that go well for him. I hope Montreal turns around and they can start to make some of those fans happy. But I certainly wouldn't be investing anything in Bowman in the near future.
0: At the running back position, we seem to see more teams kind of moving towards that dual back and even the trio back system. Uh, maybe four is next uh, that some teams are running here this season you know in terms of fantasy value you've got your high priced guys like your Andrew Harris your William Powell your James Wilder Jr Uh, more of the cheaper options seem to come from those crowded backfields you know Hamilton has used four running backs this season and Thomas Erlington Whitlock Timmis and John White who got I think all the carries this past week yeah that was a nice change of pace Uh, and then Saskatchewan with Trey Mason, Jerome Messum, and Marcus Thigpen. Uh, With with the cheaper guys being in those crowded backfields, do you almost find yourself needing to load up with the higher-priced running backs, or do you take a chance that one of these guys is going to get the bulk of the load, uh, one of these cheaper guys?
2: Yeah, I think unless something becomes really clear where there's injuries that free up more carries or more targets... I would very rarely go and in, wade into a three-headed backfield with any kind of confidence at all. Like you mentioned with White, he seemed to take over the full workload there this past week. Tim has still got some snaps, and Whitlock still got some snaps, and Erlington had a couple snaps before he went out. But White got every carry out of the backfield, and he certainly was the most targeted one out of the backfield there as well. So I have a little bit more security that this is probably his job going forward because they probably didn't sign him out of wherever it was he was hanging out, to just come in and take up a roster spot if they didn't plan on using them. So, previous going into last week, I wouldn't have touched him, but coming into this week, I have a fair bit of confidence that he's a good value play and somebody worth touching. With backfields like Saskatchewan, where you're looking at those three each getting four carries a game maybe, it's hard to imagine that those are going to be optimal plays. They might get, like Thigpen's been doing, 30-yard touchdowns every week, but again, or statistically one one speaking... Eating. Right. Statistically speaking, those are anomalies. Those aren't something that you want to load up on and say, I've got confidence that this is going to be a great play every week. People can luck into it, but uh, that's not going to be my strategy for the most part. And if you're looking to build consistently high-scoring lineups, it's probably not the direction you want to go anyways. There's always going to be cheaper receivers that have similar floors and probably higher ceilings that you can get for a cheaper price than some of those cheaper running backs are going to be.
0: That uh, brings us into a question from Twitter, which you kind of just answered there, at T.W. Borassa wanted to know, is John White worth taking a chance on this week over running backs like Powell and Wilder at a $3,112 salary?
2: Yeah, I don't know if you'd want to take him over those guys, but I think certainly he's a guy that you'd look at as a lock for a flex position. Uh, Looking at the values on this week, if he gets even 70% of the touches, and he had 100% of them last week, he's still going to be one of the better value plays that you can get on this slate of games. So I think White, I'll say I was dead wrong last week. He got every one of those touches, and I'm hoping that I'm completely right this week, and he continues to get every one of those touches because he'll have a little bit more running room this week versus Ottawa, I would think, than he did versus Saskatchewan, because that defensive line just doesn't give anybody anything.
0: I'd like to go through the Week 7 matchups here quickly, and maybe uh, a a strong pick and uh, maybe a value pick in each of these games, or uh, I should say at each of these positions. Uh, So looking at the Week 7 matchups, you have Edmonton and Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Hamilton, Calgary, Saskatchewan. At the quarterback position, who's a lock for you this week, and who are you taking a chance uh, if you go with a money pick?
2: Yeah, Mike Riley outprojects projects everybody by about 35% this week. It's just right off the charts as far as his matchup versus Montreal and the amount that they've been passing the ball this season. So if there's any way to get there, he's certainly the guy. But at 14,000 on TSN, it's pretty hard to imagine getting up that high. If you do play DraftKings contest, it's a little bit easier because he's only in the mid-11,000s on a $50,000 cap instead of $14,000 on a $40,000 cap. So it's a little bit tougher to play him on the TSN contest. And if you're going to go cheap at quarterback, James Franklin had such a dismal week last week, it's hard to believe that he would be able to throw in another stinker like that right away. So Franklin or Nichols, one of the two guys in that game, one of the two is probably going to have a pretty good game. I'd probably lean Franklin this week just on the bounce back, but Nichols is certainly reasonable too at kind of those low-price salaries.
0: Now at the running back position, uh, I'd say personally a lock every week is Andrew Harris, but uh, he's now at a position where on TSN his salary is over $10,000. As far as I can remember in the history of CFL on TSN Fantasy, Uh, he is the highest-priced non-quarterback player ever. Yeah. so lock pick uh if i mean if you can find a way to get Harris into <laughs> yeah. a lineup but uh who else would you say is uh, is a strong pick this week and then a value pick at running back yeah if you can't quite seem
2: to get your way up to Andrew Harris at over 10,000 I completely understand and after that you're probably looking at somebody like William Powell you save yourself about $1,300 and you get a good matchup versus Hamilton Hamilton's given up the most yards per carry in the league this year some of that's offset a little bit like that 80 yard touchdown run by Thigpen last week if you take that away they're a little bit closer to the packet kind of 5.7 yards per carry instead of 6.5 but Powell gets as heavy a workload for carries out of the backfield as any guy in the league and certainly has a good chance to put up a touchdown this week as well so he's probably one of your best bets as far as high-priced players go And if you're looking more at the bottom of the barrel, you mentioned John White. Again, $3,100, that's going to be about as good a value as you'll hope for at any position. So he's certainly a good pick. And if you're looking for something in the middle, C.J. Gable looks to be playing this week coming back from injury. And probably nobody's going to be on him again because game logs say he really hasn't been that productive this year. But going against Montreal, he's probably going to get a lot of carries and ball control through the third and fourth quarter. And I'd expect he'd have a chance to rack up over 100 yards this week and even a kind of a moderate expectation.
0: Let's talk the wide receiver position here. Uh, You've got some high-priced guys. Duke Williams is back this week. Darrell Walker is back this week after having the bye week last week. Uh, Who's your must-play at the wide receiver position?
2: Uh, I've played Duke Williams every week so far this season. It hasn't steered me wrong yet, and I don't expect it will go wrong this week against Montreal either. It's hard to imagine that the guy's going to keep getting 10 to 11 targets a game, but that's been quite consistent over the last month. So even if he only gets six or seven or eight, there's still enough chance there of a touchdown and enough PPR points to warrant the kind of price tag that he's got there at 7,300. That's a guy I certainly want in my lineups if you're looking a little bit more in the mid-tiers, you've got his teammate Kenny Stafford at only 4,700. who's probably still going to get a lot of opportunities. Right now, Edmonton projects to throw about 40 passes this week, given that Montreal gives up the most offensive plays to opponents and Edmonton has the second-highest-paced offense themselves in the league. So there's going to be a whole lot of opportunity for those position players to put up PPR points this week. On the lower end of the spectrum, you've got a few that are all in that $2,500 range, whether it's Shaq Evans, who's still getting a half dozen targets a game, even in the struggling passing game that the Riders have. you got Chris Harper in Montreal, who's been a nice surprise for them over the last couple of weeks coming into the lineup. you got Jordan Williams-Lambert, who seemed to be the possession receiver for the Riders last week. And any of those, certainly at the price tag they've got, don't have to do a whole lot for you to turn value around and let you put up good points and be able to pay up for some of those other really expensive position players.
0: And another guy that seems to lately be a bit of a value pick here is Nick Dembski of the Bombers. Uh, What can you say about the way they've used him uh, offensively? You know, heavily, surprisingly, getting a couple carries in the run game and uh, seems to be used a little more uh, through the air.
2: Yeah, we'll see how he does I'm glad he's got kind of a fresh start there In Winnipeg, it got a little toxic for him In Saskatchewan, by the time it was done He was having a lot of trouble with drops And just a lack of consistency In being used in the offensive game plan So Winnipeg seems to have a little bit more idea Of what they want to make him do And certainly so long as he could squeeze the ball And keep it in his hands rather than dropping it He's got the wheels to be able to turn the corner And make some things happen And I think that's why they're giving him a few carries Out of the backfield as well if Tim Flanders winds up coming back to the lineup this week, I think probably you'll see a couple targets from Dembski move to Flanders' weight, and some of those carries may evaporate as well. But in the low end of the price range, you're really not needing a whole lot for that to turn value.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if Flanders does return this week. I know at Tompkins was taking the first team reps in yeah. Darius Bowman's old spot at practice today, so we'll uh, we'll have to wait for the depth chart on that one. And then finally, you suggest picking a defense every week. Uh, Which defense this week are you looking at?
2: You know I, I think either of Saskatchewan or Calgary are both really high-priced options that are ones that are interesting just because they do have the opportunity to create a lot of sacks and a lot of turnovers against each other, with Bo Levi Mitchell showing a real lack of mobility last week in their game. If he has to face the same kind of pressure Saskatchewan's been putting up, he'll get put on his back a number of times this week, I would expect. And looking for the Calgary defense... Saskatchewan still leads the league in interceptions thrown, whether it's Bridge or Watford. I think if they can get a little pressure on there, you can see those guys throw some gopher balls out there that could be pretty ugly too and make it interesting for those defense special teams. If you're looking for something a little bit cheaper, the Edmonton Eskimos get Montreal. Um, whether it's going to be Schultz or any of these other folks in under center for Montreal, you're probably not going to see a lot of consistency or a lot of hope for them. So Edmonton, although they haven't generated a lot of points to this point, could still certainly put up a big number, given the low salary and opportunity they've got versus a struggling Montreal offense.
0: And finally, just to wrap things up here, uh, thank you for taking the time to answer all of these questions. I hope it helped people out uh, filling out their fantasy lineups. And where can they go to find your regular work uh, each week to help them out each week?
2: Yeah, we have articles up on CFL.ca every week uh, with our projections model and with a breakdown of the slate and what we're looking at on a given position. And if people are playing the DraftKings contest as well, we've got all of our stuff up on dailyroto.com CFL with a weekly breakdown and opportunity to subscribe to the DraftKings
0: projections as well. And of course, where can people find you on social media as well?
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at benyamen, B-E-N-Y-A-M-E-N, and I'm on there all the time, looking to chat and looking to help folks out as they try and figure out their lineups on each week. I'm happy to help people learn and know the game, and hopefully grow these fantasy contests into something that gets bigger and better every year.
0: And it seems to be growing, and I, I gotta say, it's a lot of fun every year. You know, it uh, it, ad- it adds some fun to each game. You know, oh, is my guy gonna get a catch here? Uh, A bit of frustration when they drop the ball, but uh, certainly adds some entertainment value to the CFL. Well, Ben, thanks for taking the time here to come on the podcast. We appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thank you. And that was CFL fantasy expert Ben Kramer of DailyRoto.com and CFL.ca joining us here on the Canadian Football Countdown to talk all things CFL fantasy football. Uh, It was great having a chat with him and getting his take uh, on settling some debates at different positions and uh, whether or not, you know, who to put in your lineup each week and who's a guy you should take a chance on. So great talk there with Ben Kramer. Appreciate him taking the time to join us here on the podcast. So just to recap our picks here for week seven in the CFL, Mike, uh, we're finally going separate from one another. Uh, we agreed on the first game of the week with Edmonton beating Montreal, but you had Toronto or you had Winnipeg. I have Toronto. Uh, you had Ottawa. I have Hamilton, and you have Saskatchewan. I have Calgary. So we'll see how this week goes. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if we both end up at about a two and two record. Shut my back. Game of the week for this week. Uh, you Sh- already kind Sh- of talked about Saskatchewan, Calgary. It. I think Ottawa, Hamilton. I think that's going to be an exciting game. I think I, watch. I know what I'm doing Saturday. Watching both of these. Yes. All right. And uh, looking forward to the Bomber game here in Winnipeg as well. They've been on the road for two weeks, so it's exciting to have football back here in Winnipeg. Any final thoughts to close out this episode, Mike? Um. We're going to see the pretenders
1: pull away from the contenders or vice versa. Right. So I think now we're going to start to see who is the best from each division
0: with a lot of these head-to-heads coming. I think that's a great way of putting it. We'll leave it at that. Uh, If you haven't already done so, check out the previous episodes of the podcast, our trade breakdown of the Manziel blockbuster between Hamilton and Montreal as well as the Darius Bowman to Montreal trade, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. If you would like to listen on another one, uh, just let us know. Send us a message on Twitter, uh, and we'll try to get it on that platform for you. Follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM, and visit our website at MikeFMWinnipeg.com slash the Canadian Football Countdown, with that last part all being hyphenated there. Uh, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week with our week seven recap and week eight preview. Uh, hope you enjoy this week's games and hope we get some exciting ones and have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.